It is Friday, January the 26th, 2024. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We had two episodes this week because we had so much content to bring to you. So if you want to get a little help with the Saturday Pegasus races at Gulfstream Park, we've got those covered for you with Barry Spears on the previous episode of That's What G Said. It's also Royal Rumble Saturday, so I had to get the crew together for the Royal Rumble Roundtable. Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, Chad Cooper all joined me on an earlier episode of That's What G Said. On this episode, we are going to get you NFL Conference Championship Game Previews with Eric. Four teams left. We dive into both games and get you all ready for Sunday. Then we'll give you Saturday, Santa Anita. I'm going to go through races 6 through 9 on Saturday at Santa Anita. And we'll finish up with What If Season 2 Deep dive, recap, and review. Tim Kelly joined me to talk about season two of What If. We get, uh, we gave little tidbits on each episode, and then we really uh, got into a couple of our favorite stories throughout season two of What If. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Anything you need in the world of real estate, contact Cindy. Right now, we get into... NFL Conference Championship Game Previews with Eric from ETOF21 Sports. We have uh, first up the Chiefs at the Ravens, and then the night game will be the Lions at the 49ers. Let's get you all ready for two Sunday football games. And then there were four. We've made it to the final four in the NFL. The Chiefs versus the Ravens on Sunday. The Lions at the 49ers, Baltimore. About a three and a half now up to a four-point favorite. And you have the 49ers uh, now a little more than a touchdown favorite. These are the two games we will discuss with Eric from ETOF21 Sports, who's been with us all year long. And Eric has not only the, uh, the gambling that he's interested in this weekend, this is his team. This is the Lions. Eric, you're in the conference championship. You're one game away from the Super Bowl. You've literally never been in this position in your lifetime. I know. I have <laughs> no idea how to handle it. Um, <laughs> I, had my, I had a little operation done um, last week, and I was laid up, and one of my friends came over to watch the game and everything. It was so hard for me not to get up and pace. You know what I mean? Because I was, like, anxious. I never felt safe in the game. No. But the one thing about Detroit – this year, anytime they need a drive, they're able to piece it together. That's yep. the one thing about the Lions. That anytime they nice. need it, they've, they've been able to piece it together. And a lot of that comes with the offensive line. We're going to talk about a couple questions about the offensive line in just a bit. But we will talk first about the Chiefs and the Ravens. That's the first game on Sunday. We're looking at the betting lines at DRF Sportsbook. Remember, if you are in the state of Iowa, you can sign up for a DRF Sportsbook betting account. If you use our promo code FAST300, it'll get you up to a $300 deposit match bonus. It'll also get you a $50 bet credit in there. So let's get uh, just a couple things and then the, the matchup here. No team that hasn't had a quarterback and head coach Win a Super Bowl together in the first five years they were together, they've never won one together. Does that make sense? How yeah. I said it? So if there's been a combination of coach and quarterback, and if they've been together for five years and didn't win a Super Bowl, they never won one after that together. 
They all, it was always a different coach or a different quarterback, that combo. So if you haven't done it in within five, you don't. And that's where we are with Allen right now, um, who had another tough break last week when the Chiefs beat the Bills. Um, but remember, the three teams that played a playoff game on short rest all lost last week. They were 0-3. Only road team that won was the Chiefs, who were on eight days rest on the road. Let's talk about those Chiefs. They headed their sixth straight conference championship game. That's the second longest streak in history. Only the Patriots from 2011 to 2018 had more. They only punted one time last week. I mean, I know Bills fans, it was a tough beat because on the scoreboard, the Bills played the game smart and were trying to keep the ball away from KC. And they did what they needed to do to get to the point to just kick a field goal to tie. But if Kansas City doesn't have that weird fumble for the touchback, if Kansas City was able to get it into the end zone once or twice more when they were moving the ball for what seven. 0.7 yards per play compared to just 4.7 for Buffalo. This team had their best game of the year by DVOA. In fact, two of their best four games of the year for the Chiefs have been the last two weeks. Have they flipped the switch? That's what everybody wants to know now. Or did they run into two teams that were decimated by injuries on the defensive side? The Dolphins and the Bills, right? Eric, both could be true. It's kind of crazy. like. The thing, well, A, the main thing that stood out for me is you can always tell a lot by a person how they act when they're at their low. We flash back to Mahomes when he lost that game to Allen. What was the first thing he did? He was blame the reps. When Tyler Bass missed that kick, who was the first person over there and put his arm around him? Josh Allen. So to I me, feel that bad for Allen, dude. I, I really do right that, now. That kind of speaks a lot about, I mean, he has the turnovers, yeah, whatever. But that kind of speaks to what kind of person he was. And I really feel in everything that's going on with the talk, you know, you should have checked it down to Diggs. We have these guys that used to play in the NFL saying you got to give your playmaker a ball. These guys who are tout saying you should have checked it down to Diggs. No, you needed a touchdown. Shakir was open in the end zone. If Chris Jones doesn't get that insane push on Dawkins and forces Dawkins into Allen when he's stepping into the throw, that's a touchdown. Absolutely. Maybe the Bills are going to stop. Maybe they don't. And I really think that what's getting lost in all this stuff is how great of a game Chris Jones played and how he basically won him the game in that possession. Bills are entering a very, very um, interesting offseason. You mentioned their defense. They had a 15-year vet who they signed off the couch back there guarding Kelsey. So their defense was kind of up against it. Um, you know, is Diggs going to be back? What are you going to do with Gabe Davis? Are you going to keep yeah, that Brady? Yeah, bad drop, Diggs. Yeah. yeah. So, that was bad, too. I mean, that's right there. I I think that we get too we, – we overreact a little too much. Does he, does he have – you mentioned plenty of turnovers, but I would counter that and say the dude, how many sacks – does he break out of or not get that someone else would have? And it's which is like if you win it, it gets overlooked. He has does. never had more in a, interceptions in a season than Brett Favre did. Brett Favre was constantly had more interceptions in the season than Josh Allen, but people give Favre a pass because he, he won a title. Now, if Allen wins a title, 
people aren't going to worry about these interceptions and whatnot. He had seven touchdowns and no turnovers in the two games in the in the playoffs this year, and he didn't even get sacked against Kansas City in that game. He had, there was pressure, but that's unbelievable. He he was not the problem. The Bills rushed in pass for 180 plus yards, had no giveaways, took no sacks, had less than 30 penalty yards, 35 minutes time of possessions. They had five separate 10 play drives. No other team in the NFL in the Super Bowl era has ever done that all in the same game and ended up losing. Uh, they struggled running the ball late. Cook, how about this? If you had James Cook's rushing yards, 61 and a half, he had 67 going into the fourth quarter. His final four carries, negative four, negative three, zero, one. His final was 61. They also kind of got away from the running game. I felt they, they did. could have been more. They weren't using it the right way, right? Yeah. It was in not consistently. It was in obvious run spots to where, sure, then it's more difficult to get runs. Um, but they didn't produce big plays. It, it, but it, I will say it almost seemed like that was the game plan for them. They wanted yeah. to hold on to the ball, short, 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 and make sure that they dictated a lot of the outcome. And unfortunately, they missed two or three plays. Kansas City was pretty sharp through a lot of it, and they missed the kick there. Um, you know, And who's not to say? There's plenty of time left. Who's not to say if he does make the kick? I mean, you're averaging over seven yards of play. I mean, it's they're probably coming right back. They're probably coming right back. Um, So that's why you had to go for the seven there, because the way I look for it, and this is going to sound shysty, I know, if I score when I know I need to get, like, if I if I need a field goal to tie seven to take the lead, I'm going to go for the seven all the time. Obviously, no dud, just because. If you throw it to the end zone and there's like no time left, I can get a PI. Maybe they're not going to call. You know what I mean? Like you can kind of like grab the jersey, whatever, to break up a play. Who knows they're going to call it if that makes sense. So Mahomes on the road gets his first win. He's three and two in AFC titles game so far. 39 and 11 record on the road. This defense, they finished the season second in scoring defense and second in yards allowed. No team since Mahomes has been quarterback has been higher than seventh in either of those. So this is by far the best defense he's ever had. It, that game was close. It was entertaining. But as I mentioned, the Chiefs 7.7 yards per play. They had eight plays of 20 yards or longer. The Bills had zero. What helped the Chiefs was their ability to run the ball as a team. They had 24 carries, 146 yards, 6.1 yards per carry. Pacheco had 15 for 97. The Chiefs only had three first half possessions before the kneel down. They scored on all three of them, but they were down 17 to 13. They actually scored on their first five actual possessions of the game. Then they score, you know, they scored touchdowns on back-to-back drives to open the second half. Buffalo gets stopped on the fake punt in their own territory. That's, uh, there was 10 men on the field, I know, but they did still apparently call the play in. And the Chiefs had a chance to put the game away. Then we got that fumble through the end zone which gave Buffalo a chance with the ball down three, and they end up missing that game-tying field goal from 44. A couple other notes in here. The kickers in this game, dude, they're going to be awesome. We've been talking all about the Chiefs and the Bills. We'll get to the Ravens a little in a second, but we have you know Tucker and Butker. Butker has made all 16 field goals he's attempted over the last four games, and he's perfect on extra points. So he's averaging four field goals a game, while hitting all of his extra points, these guys can be used as weapons. 
in this game versus some of the other teams that we saw like Bass or Green Bay who may have lost games because of their kicker. Even San Francisco's kicker hit a big one in the game against Green Bay, but they did get one blocked there and they don't really trust him all that much either. So the good teams, you know, may need to be in close games and may need to get a little help here and there. These kickers can really do that. To me, it feels like there are, what, three guys now that I think Mahomes trusts. You've got Kelsey, Rice, Pacheco, who's been pretty good running the ball. And then MVS had a couple big plays. When when Mahomes targets Kelsey and Rice in the playoffs so far, 24 for 32, 323 yards, three touchdowns, 137 passer rating. Last week, those two guys, Mahomes was 9 of 10, 122 yards and two touchdowns. So it just seems like that's what you do in the playoffs, right? You shorten up the rotation. You start going to the guys who you trust more. I think that's what they're going to do. It, we, I, I feel like we're probably going to talk more about that game than, than the Ravens game because the Ravens struggled early, but in the second half, they really turned it on. What we saw from the Ravens last week was they played a young team that was making some mistakes, but damn, this Ravens defense is unbelievable. They held Houston to only 213 total yards. They dominated time of possession by over 15 minutes. Their defense was first in EPA per play this year. Uh, them and the Chiefs, they're one and two. These are the one and two teams in points allowed per game. You know, you think of Lamar and Mahomes, but it's these two defenses, Eric. That's probably the reason why these teams are here. Ravens, I mean, what can you say? They elite defense with what they're able to do. Um, could be getting Humphreys back. Harbaugh had a very cryptic quote today per Schefter about if still not sure if he's going to play. Uh, held Houston only 38 yards. Did it allow CJ to kind of get in any rhythm? I know that a lot of people are getting coaching buzz. Biennemi, Johnson, Quinn, Belichick, Vrabel. But this job that Mike McDaniel has done with this Baltimore Ravens defense, they're elite. And he needs to be getting some consideration for some jobs. I know he's got some interviews. Obviously, Seattle and Washington are only two jobs open. But it's going to be interesting to see if his name gets in and he'll be able to get a title. You'll like this. Only NFL coordinators that were hired directly from college as that coordinator spot, there's two of them. They're both on the Ravens, Munkin and McDonald, and McDonald, and they're both awesome, right? It gives yeah. them something a little bit different because it's just not the same kind of retreads who may have just the same information, the same thought process as everybody else. These guys are going at things a little bit different, and it shows. And it took a little bit for this offense to get moving, but – this is the fourth team since 1970 to have a first team all pro quarterback and the number one scoring defense. And just to piggyback the point you're making, it's important to remember how stuff in football works is high school teams do it. Then the college teams see these high Copycat. school teams do it, and then they start implementing it into college. And then the NFL sees it and then it, then it starts implementing that stuff. I did a thing on a, a different podcast where we were trying to talking about what the Eagles needed to do. And I mentioned the Florida state offensive coordinator, of course, his name I'm spacing on, but I think this is something maybe we're going to see teams do poaching these team poaching coordinators from the sec, ACC, big 10, big 12. 
and start to implement their type of offense because it is a copycat league. So this is the Ravens' first time hosting a conference championship game. The Baltimore Colts hosted one back in 1971. Lamar, it, dude, he's the first player in NFL history to have in one game two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, 100 rushing yards, and 100 passer rating. He also had a 72% completion percentage. What's been so impressive about this team this year, they've been good against the good teams. They have 11 wins against teams with a winning record. They're 7-2 and two against teams that made the playoffs this year with a plus 145-point differential in games Lamar started. They lost the game to the Steelers in that last week, so I'm not counting that one in the mix. So they've won six of those games by double digits. And last week, Houston didn't run a single play inside of the Baltimore 25-yard line. Um, they, you know, they they had three points on offense. The other seven came on a punt return. And Houston only had 38 yards rushing. They put pressure on Stroud on a career high, 51% of his dropbacks there. Now, Andrews is back. But likely he's been pretty good. He's had six touchdowns in seven games. This might be something that I don't know if it'll be just an immediate. He comes right back in and you it's almost like you may not want to mess with things that, that have been going so well. Yeah, but it gives another weapon to exploit it's, against. It's, that's, that's the key. You don't you don't need him to come in and be your number one. And you shouldn't try to be that way like he used to when he was the only guy in town before where it would have been like, oh, we need Andrews to come back and be. Travis Kelsey catch 10 balls, right? That kind of guy for this offense. He doesn't need to be that now. Still use nope. likely. You can just incorporate Andrews in some of the plays that you know he runs well. Some of those comfortable plays. Get him a couple looks. Get him a couple catches. Shake the rust off. And then what's nice, if you win, you get another week off. A couple weeks, he could be really ready to rock and roll if you make the Super Bowl. Yeah, but I think the timing is important. I think you got to run him out there a little bit. Maybe he doesn't see his normal route. Maybe it's like a 60-10, sorry, 60-40 split. But, yeah, yeah, I think think he should get some run a little bit. He is active and he is going to go. But you're right. Isaiah likely is a beast and is, like, deserves to get some run too. What's the play here for you? Anything? I got two plays here. First play here is I actually got this as off of openers. I got the Ravens at minus three. Look, I still like this minus four play over the DRF Sportsbook. Kelsey's been on tear this year, averaging six receptions, 73 yards per game. But the Ravens were eighth DVOA defending the tight end, allowing only 42.3 yards per game. Ravens also have Hamilton, who I think is a key in this game offensively because he's going to be able to blitz disrupt Lamar, but he's also going to be able to shadow Kelsey and defend him one-on-one. This is going to allow Humphreys, if he plays, to shadow Rice and force Hardman, MVS, Watson, and crew to make some plays. Pacheco has been a beast so far in the playoffs. 93 yards per game, 4.8 yards per carry. This Ravens team, as you mentioned, is elite against the run. Seventh DVOA, allowing only 38 yards per game, 38 yards to the Texans last game. I think they're going to be able to limit Pacheco. Another reason I like the Ravens. Ravens are able to generate pressure without blitzing. Mahomes is absolutely elite facing the blitz. You have to be able to get him off center without blitzing, and that's what the Ravens are do can do. They let the league in sacks. Another factor, the Chiefs' lack of run defense. They were 27th DVOA defending this the is run. Key. Yeah, this Josh is key. Aaron had 12 rushes. For 72 yards, 
six yards per carry. If he's able to do that, what is Lamar Jackson going to be able to do against this defense? Chiefs allowed 114.9 yards rushing per game. That was the 18th most and just allowed 186 yards to the Bills. And the Bills totally abandoned the run in the second half. The Ravens aren't going to do this. I've heard someone make this analogy about Harbaugh before. Young guys will panic. Something's not working. You're down a quick 7-0, quick 10-0. They'll panic. They'll go to a pass. Harbaugh is just the old guy smoking the cigarette will stay the course. You know what I mean? He understands this is our best chance to win, and we're not going to abandon the run. That way you're keeping Mahomes on the sideline and limiting his touches. You mentioned it earlier about the Ravens. Ravens are 7-1 and this season, playing a team with a winning percentage over 60%. That 7-1 and is ATS. Tooney, out for the Bills, out for the Bills, out for the Chiefs, which hurts their interior blocking. Pacheco banged up, Willie Gay banged up. When I look at the trenches and I look at these head-to-head matchups, I like the Ravens. I got it at three. I would still play the minus four. Other bet, this is kind of one tied in, I played Gus Edwards over 41 and a half yards rushing. I also laddered this one because I think he's going to rush for over 100. Chiefs, like I mentioned, 27th DVOA defending the run, allowing 114.9 rushing yards per game. Gus Edwards has gone over this total two of the last three, three of the last five, 12 times this season. The last five games, and look, I'm not going to chart count the Chargers game because that was the game when the Chiefs were sitting out a lot of players. Cook, 18 for 61. Mozart, 8 for 33. Mixon, 21 for 65. Zaheer White, 22 for 145. Harris, 4 for 25. So three of the last five backs that the Chiefs have played have gone over this total. In those five games, the Chiefs are allowing 326 yards per game, 68 – no, sorry, they've allowed 326 yards. That's 68.5 yards per game, 4.5 yards per carries. Like I said, I think the Ravens are going to lean on the run. This means more run for Gus Edwards to keep Mahomes on the sidelines. So I'm betting his over 41.5 yards rushing. I I will know how I'm going to play this game on Sunday. I still really don't. I really don't. I, I'm I'm concerned with the matchup a little more for Kansas City in this spot. I really am. I do think there is that intangible the um of, of Mahomes. And the, one, one of the things is like the Ravens are excellent putting pressure on the quarterback. But – the Chiefs and Mahomes is really good at eliminating sacks. So, you know, the Ravens offense led the league in sacks and Mahomes has a 3.9% sack rate, which is second in the league behind Josh Allen. So that's another one of those things where something's got to give there. Is the pressure going to be too much for him or can he get around some of that pressure? And then all of a sudden there's a mismatch. You know, someone's open down the field. It's going to be a fascinating chess match between the two I think they have good staffs we just talked about their coaching staffs Spags obviously fantastic going so I'm really pumped for this game I'll have a prop or two uh to get into and on Sunday when we talk more about it but I I don't know if I'm gonna take one side either way one or the other I do feel a little more strongly as we move to the second game and I let you know right away after the Lions won that the point spread came out for the Lions Niners and it was around seven. And I took it right there just because I thought it might go down. It did go down a little bit and it's kind of bounced around between six and a half and seven and a half now. And I think 
I felt that way watching the Lions game and also watching the 49ers game. Who will give them the credit? This will be their 19th trip to the NFC title game. It's four more than the next closest team in the NFC. Three more than the second team. Um, and the second team in the in the AFC is the Steelers, who have 16. It was the third straight trip now to the NFC title game, fourth in the last five years, tied for the most playoff wins of any team in history with 37. They should have been down a lot more early in that game against the Packers. Green Bay went into the red zone three times and got not one touchdown out of it. San Francisco didn't even get into the red zone in the first half. They had one play that went for more than 16 yards. It was their 32-yard touchdown, and they're up 7-6. to six. It was like, ugh. it was one of those crushing games where you could feel it early on. The Shanahan streak that was broken, but they kind of fudged the numbers on that a little. His teams were 0-31 when trailing by five or more entering the fourth quarter. It was really eight or more. That was the big one because it was like a, a full possession or sometimes even two possessions where they really struggle. But they kicked a field goal right off the bat in the fourth quarter. They were down by four. Um, it was huge from Moody, their field goal kicker, who's been inconsistent. A big factor for them will be the health of Debo. Since they drafted him, they are 8-9 and nine without him on the field. They are, since they've drafted... 53 and 23, averaging almost 27 points per game. The Packers offensive line did a great job in that game, Eric. They allowed zero sacks. They helped run the ball for 136 yards. The Lions have a really good offensive line. They have a couple key pay, uh, players that are banged up. We'll talk more about them in a second. The the misses from Love, though, they, they hurt. There was just a short one to Aaron Jones. Potential big play. If he makes the throw, would have taken off. Uh, n- nope, not able to get it. Packers lead in the fourth quarter. They get the ball twice with the lead and go three and out. And then when they were down, they missed the 41-yard field goal. Uh, uh, they, excuse me, they had the ball twice, missed the 41-yard field goal. Then when they're down, they get it back and he throws the interception. Purdy deserved that. Deserved is a bad way of saying it. That was a game you normally lose when your quarterback plays that poorly early on. Purdy had two interceptions that should have been dropped. He was missing guys all over. And the difference in the game, Aaron Jones, three or four mistakes, or Aaron, um, Jordan Love's three or four mistakes, they got intercepted, and they were all big plays that went against Green Bay. Purdy's three or four mistakes, they didn't cost him. Packers dropped those interceptions, and they didn't get them back, Eric. And that was... One of the things coming out of the 49ers game that I think you could really look at it two ways. Did this team dodge a bullet? Did they get lucky? And are we now going to see a better version of them? Or were some of the real issues that this team's had all year, did they all pop up in that game where you have a quarterback that's not quite as proven when things get a little bit difficult and he's great on script, but when life is hard, not necessarily as great. You have a defense that's not as great against the run, and overall a defense that's not the same defense it was a few years ago. You can throw on them and you can run on them. And then when one of their guys get banged up, they're not quite as overwhelming on offense as they seem when they do have Debo and Kittle and McCaffrey and Ayuk all nicely in their spots. I This game is tough for me, man. This game is really tough for me. And I think, like, you hit the nail on the head what's going on with Debo. Now, look, he's off the injury report. Schefter tweeted that out about an hour ago. And from what I've read, this shoulder injury 
is similar to the shoulder injury he had against the Browns that forced him to miss two games. Here's an interesting stat I found scrolling on X. Credit to the guy that like posted it, Matt Jacob. This season, one and four, when Debo gets two targets or fewer, their only win was last week against the Packers. So even if he plays, if he's not getting targets, they're not winning. Yep. Debo. So he's not as good as like a decoy, right? He's not no. as great to be used as a decoy is no. sort of what you're saying too. Debo starts and finishes the game 10 and three ATS this season. When he doesn't start or he leaves the game early, 0 and 5. Look, I know everyone is going to hype up CMC and everything, and I have a CMC question for you in a second. He was getting massaged all throughout the game, right? This game runs through. Their offense is Debo. If Debo doesn't go, it's not as potent as it is. And the Lions are better against the run. They're not – CMC and, and like, if he's good, they can run. They'll run on anyone. But your strength as a defense is stopping the run. Yeah. And here's my CMC. Where do you think he is in broken tackles? Like That's where a good do you think? Like where I do you mean, think? You would think he's up towards the top, right? Yeah. He's mid 20s, 25. Yeah. That's and that comes back to the Shanahan, right? And the scheming and it's not necessarily him doing it and that those are the things that tighten up in the playoffs. All that stuff. Guys aren't quite as wide open. Things aren't quite as easy. And that everything gets a little bit tighter. Even last week, Green Bay, they got the bad spot on another one. That really wasn't even like the 49ers stopping them. They got a, It wasn't a great call, but they got a horrible spot. Um, and the and 49ers, mean, go ahead. Just for, just for reference, this is who he's round for broken tackles. Now, keep in mind, he played 16 games, Okay. And so he's played more than a lot of these guys. Yeah. So Jonathan Taylor, 10 games, had one more broken tackle than he did. He had the same amount of broken tackles as Devon Achen, who only played 11, Khalil Herbert, who only played 12, and he had one more than Stevenson, who only played 12. One more than Damian Pierce, who is a zero factor toward the end of the season yeah. for the um, the uh, Houston Texans. So how healthy is McCaffrey? And also, this is something we need to remember for fantasy this year. We can visually see he's starting to break down. So we need to kind of pump the brakes on drafting him next year. But go ahead. And, I didn't hear and then it's another year where he may have, <clears throat> again, you don't want to say lucky, but he there might have been a few bounces or a few bumps that went his way this year. And then next year you're going to be paying for that. And the defense, the rushing defense matchup that that's where I, I really think the lions need to lean on in this game. Last week, the pack, uh, the Packers and Aaron Jones had 18 carries for 108 yards for Jones. It was the first rusher to break hundred yards in the last 50 games, but that has to do with the fact that they're up in games. The 49ers this year, they are number 25 in defensive rushing EPA. The Lions are fourth in offensive rushing EPA. The 49ers are 27th in defensive rushing success rate. I like that stat even better because that's down to down. Every down, they are allowing the 27th worst success rate on runs defensively. And the Lions are eighth 
And you know who the Lions are just ahead of? The Packers. Last week, who had good success against this 49ers defense. And again, Eric, when you back the 49ers with margin, you have to worry about Shanahan and that cautious approach. Last week, before halftime, they had four minutes. He didn't even try to score a touchdown. He took this real cautious approach where he was more worried about not giving Green Bay the ball back. They ended up having to kick a long field goal that got blocked. That could cost them if Green Bay would have done one of six different things, Green Bay would have won that game. Yep. You can't deal on the margin in these games against better teams. You have such a good offense. Just go score touchdowns. Just go that score was, as many touchdowns as you can. On my like, show, that was my big takeaway. Right? Before it's cost cost them that game. Yeah. And that and that and now it because McVay does similar and, and they're fantastic play designers and play callers, but they're bad with decision-making and they're bad with time management. Those are just two things that they're not good with. It's almost like they're completely different skill sets that they're just, huh, what? And this roster, what's interesting, they're built backwards. I thought this was a fascinating article I was reading. It said they rank fourth in running back spending and second in tight end spending. And Warner is second in salary among linebackers. They're also in the top half of the league in special team spendings. So they're giving out a ton of money to be good at positions that aren't considered valuable. And they're spending, they are dead last in quarterback for Purdy, right? So if they don't get a great quarterback performance, whose fault is it when you're dead last in quarterback spending? When with offensive line, they're 20th and secondary, they're 21st. Those are places a lot of people spend up on the offensive line. Yep. They're lucky that they have Williams. That's a something that should be more of a, a weakness for them that I've been pretty, I've been actually impressed that they, they haven't had more games where the offensive line's hurting them. Dude, this could really be one of them, Eric, because Hutchinson's going to be lining up against a really, really nice matchup. He finished with six pressures last week. It was the 16th time this year he's had five or more pressures in a game. No other player in the league had eight or had more than 12 games like that. He had 16. He had eight sacks in his last four game. And the Lions now have won more playoff games in the last eight days than they did in the previous 66 years. They are 22 and seven over their last 29 games, including playoffs. Eric, how about that? The Lions get to have a stat that says, including playoffs. We never even used to need to say that when we were talking about Lions stat. You knew that the playoffs weren't included. But this team is the real deal, man. Goff, in the fourth quarter, he was 11 of 12. This year, he's been among the best quarterbacks. He was graded quarterback seven, and he's actually the second highest graded quarterback on the year that's that's still left. And now Detroit has won 14 games. He is now the the third quarterback in history to win 14 games with multiple teams. The other two, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. That's good company. Not bad. For Goff. Baker was very good in that game. We got to give him a shout out. He had four big time throws. He just had to try to make too many plays there because the Lions were just a little too good for him. But the defense of the Lions was able to put pressure on the quarterback. They sacked Baker four times. San Francisco does not have that great offensive line. That's an area where they could also attack. 
But they did allow Tampa to run the ball a little, which I didn't love. I, I think it was more of the way they were trying to play. And unfortunately, they just couldn't, they didn't really have an answer for Mike Evans down there. Even when they were defending him well, he was making great plays. In order to get to the Super Bowl, they're going to have to beat San Francisco at San Francisco. They have lost 13 straight road games at San Francisco. Their last win against the 49ers in San Francisco came in 1975. But how's this? They have not won a road game since uh, they have not won a road playoff game since 1970 or 1957. And that came against the 49ers. So, Hey, maybe it's going to all come full circle for these lions years and years later. The, O-line, though, Eric, what do we know? Ragnow, Jackson. Jackson out. What about Ragnow? Frank the Tank is in. He's definitely okay. playing. Man, um, he's a stud. That was unbelievable last week yeah. how he just sucked yeah. it up and was pushing Via, Vita Via, who's the big run monster, and he was just pushing him down. Um, he's, they, he's a beast. Um, Jackson not being there, a little bit of a concern just because the uh, Bucks were able to generate a little pressure. Goff did struggle struggle a little bit that is a little bit of a worry point for me as a uh, as a fan of the team so what i really was impressed by early on tampa looked like they were trying to sell out to kind of stop the run and uh-huh. then johnson made some adjustments and you decided to run different with gibbs instead of just right up the gut with montgomery because think about it you've got vita vea there right when that guy is healthy and there he's the best run stopper in the game and other teams don't have that guy. The 49ers don't have that guy. And what did Ben Johnson do? Okay, we can make an adjustment. Let's go to Gibbs. And they end up just leaning on the rookie. 13 touches, 114 yards. Laporta had nine catches for 65 yards. And Branch had nine tackles, eight of them solo. Look at those rookies right there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Ben Johnson, the OC. <laughs> telling you I got to do a show about the OC and maybe Ben Johnson's the guy because he's been fantastic since the start of 2022 only four teams have generated more EPA on pass plays and nobody would have told you that Goff was a top five quarterback when they traded him but that's what the numbers tell you uh, they did sign Ertz to get a little depth because Wright got hurt and I mean, just last week, Laporta was banged up. So you got to have someone there that can go catch a ball or two just in case Laporta gets banged up early in this game or something like that were to happen, right? Yeah, you got to have somebody there, someone there to back him up and everything. Uh, And Ertz is a proven guy. I kind of like that. Gives another quote-unquote weapon for some two tight end sets. But he's not the blocker Wright was. You know, that is one thing that kind of you take a step back with him. Lions do like to run a lot of two tight end sets, um, but you can basically guarantee if Ertz is in there, he's probably going to be running a passing route just because he's not at the same blocking level as a uh, as a right. So, Eric, man, we're we're here. It's that time. What's the play for us or plays for us in this game? All right. So, you know, I mentioned the Debo thing. I'm not going to repeat myself. I'm not going to repeat myself with that. I am on the Lions here. Uh, road dogs in the conference championship game, 58% ATS. One seeds in the playoffs in general, every round, 44.4% ATS. 
I think you can run on this 49ers team. Like you mentioned, they're only 15th DVOA defending the run, allowing 4.2 yards per rushing attempt. Last week's Packers team rushed for 136 yards and have given up 103 yards. They have given up the 49ers 103 yards per game their last three games. Lions are fourth best rushing attack per DVOA, averaging 131.8 yards per game with 4.5 yards per attempt, which is the fifth best in the league. I think the Lions will be able to run the ball on the 49ers, thus taking pressure off of Goff to yep. make throws and not getting behind the sticks. Now, I mentioned it before. If that happens, Fred Warner is going to have to come up and get off of Laporta, which is going to open up the passing game, which is going to be huge. Laporta is um, third Sorry, second in targets, second in receptions, and second in third down receptions for the Lions, which is huge. So if that's able to happen, that is going to help the offense. Also, in terms of EPA, ever since I cannot pronounce this guy's name, Hafanga went on the IR and has been out. 49ers defense is only 22nd in the league. Their defense took a huge hit when he went out. St. Brown, great matchup for the Lions. In three wide sets, he's going to be lined up in the slot, which means he's going to be against Lenore. Lenore has allowed the six most yards this season to opposing wide receivers. Great matchup for St. Brown, who who leads the Lions in targets, receptions, yards, and third down catches, which is huge. Another big factor. Perfect day, 70 degrees, nine mile per hour winds, sunny for a California boy like Jared Goff is. This is perfect condition. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Lions have not played a game outdoors since December 12th in Chicago where they lost. So you're going to be able to play. Couldn't have asked for a better setup. Even against the team, if you were just comparing the two defenses, I think Tampa's defense is maybe better. Overall, then it's better against the run. And at the end of the day, this is a run run based attack. Um, and my next play, this is just kind of like a number play at the end of the day. David Montgomery, anytime touchdown was plus 170. Let's look at the season. Montgomery, fifth in the league in carries inside the 20, fifth in the league in carries inside the 10, sixth in the league in carries inside the five. This guy has been the workhorse back for the Detroit Lions inside the red zone. He also leads them in the playoffs in red zone carries. And the biggest thing that goes in with both these bets, Dan Campbell is not Matt LaFleur. Dan Campbell is going to be aggressive. I thought he did a good job in the Buccaneers game of not really pushing it, kind of going for the field goal at the right time. There was that fourth and two play. But I think this game, he realizes, hey, you know what? No one wants us here. Now, I don't want to say that. I want to say, like, no one, we're a seven-point dog, huge underdogs. With our defense liabilities in the back four, we need to be able to get as many sevens as we can. We cannot settle for field goals when we get inside the 35. We have to be able to to try and get a seven. Now, who knows? Like, maybe the game starts out early. San Francisco gets a score. They're up 7-0. 
and it's fourth and inches from Detroit's 32 and he goes for it and they get stuffed and the wheels just fall off. That right. would yeah. that, could, that that could happen too, but Campbell is going to be aggressive. Plus, he's an analytics guy. Which you, which you have to be as the underdog in this spot, right? And, and what I think what you're getting at is that, like, this role is not going to be new for them. No. The, the, the needing to go for it. Or, hey, look, fourth and two, hey, we do this. Let's go for it. And other teams get tight in this situation now. But he's he's built it into this team's head that they know. They know when they're middle of the field-ish and it's close, they're going for it. And with the Shanahan teams, it's the opposite. Can you steal an extra possession or two? You know, no. I, I think, and I think it's a good matchup, Eric. I really do, man. Um, uh, I'm just super appreciative too. As the last few weeks, you had your surgery, and then this week was kind of hectic and crazy for me. And you've made a bunch of adjustments to help and uh, and push so we could uh, we could record this before the weekend. But we'll still have our show on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, NFL betting blitz. We'll talk about some parlay uh, play props on that one. And we'll have up to the day, uh, up to the minute injury news. And we'll know some other props. We'll give you some DFS stuff. Thanks again so much, buddy. A nice couple days for you to sit down and think about what could be with the Lions one game away from the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a great position. One more thing, Dan Campbell in his coaching career, playoffs and regular season and regular season. 40 and 25. That is an insane 61 and a half percent ATS. That's just in general. As a dog, he is 25 and 16. That is 61%. Favorite of the show, Mike Vrabel may not be coaching next year. Could be Dan Campbell next year. Anytime he's a dog, if that time ever comes. We'll have to keep monitoring that trend. Make sure to give Eric a follow at etoff 21 Come uh, and give me a follow. It's me, Gino B. We'll be back on Sunday morning to talk with you all about these two games a little more in depth. Good luck this weekend in all your plays, and uh, we'll talk to you again on Sunday. Saturday is the big day. It is Pegasus World Cup Day at Gulfstream Park. 13 races on the card, seven graded stakes races, and one of the biggest betting tournaments of the year. You can see if you're looking at the uh, the balance on my Express Bet account, uh, with my $4.91, I'm not going to be able to get into this one on Saturday because it has a $6,000 entry fee if you haven't qualified quite yet. Wasn't able to make the cut this year myself. But to those of you who did, congratulations on Saturday, you are playing into a live money contest at Gulfstream, at Santa Anita, or at ExpressBet. Now, even if you haven't qualified, you can buy in $6,000 to enter, and you're going to be playing into about a $250,000 prize pool. Last year, they had $280,000 in prizes. The winner had $125,000 right around there. Here's what it uh, what it covers, the entry fee. $5,000 player's bankroll. $1,000 entry fee to the prize pool. 100% of entry fees are paid out as prizes. Register and sign up right now, and you can start all the way up till race five at Gulfstream Park. Here's the prize pool and the format. All live races, 
win play show exacta try daily double no pick threes pick fours any multis no super high fives the only multi is daily double so no pick threes pick fours pick fives any of the bigger ones um at least four contest races minimum of 500 per race and you have to bet at least uh their entire five thousand dollar bankroll during the contest they have on track bonuses and all of the details right here at expressbet.com. That's where you can find out everything you need to about all the big tournaments each and every day. And this is one of the biggest ones of the year, the Pegasus World Cup Betting Championship. Good luck on Saturday, 6000 to enter this one and $250,000 in prizes. Hopefully you're one of the folks cashing. Good luck. And don't forget about those Pick'em contests at Santa Anita. Pick'em.SantaAnita.com. Free to enter 12 prop questions every Saturday, every Sunday. 500 bucks to the winner. Let's get into Saturday, Santa Anita. I'm going to look at races 6 through 9. The coast-to-coast pick 5 that has a pick 5 between Santa Anita and Gulfstream. That has Gulfstream races 12 and 13. Santa Anita races 6, 7, and 8. So we're going to be talking about a few of those races right here. It's a $1 base wager for the pick 5, and it has a 15% takeout, and it is a really nice paying wager. In the 6th race, Judge Miller is going to get a lot of money as his flying drummer. I prefer Judge Miller. I think he has more upside. He was green in his first two starts, and he did win on December the 26th. He was in between horses at the top of the lane. He got headed, but he came back from the inside. Third place finisher that day, Hey Brother, came back to win a maiden special weight next out with a 90 buyer speed figure. There are a bunch of horses in here who could be showing speed, like Judge Miller, Clouseau, Flying Drummer, and even Low Expectations. If all of them show speed, I think it could set up very well for Bright Leaf, who might be the best closer in this field. He may not be the best overall horse, but he could get a great trip in here. I'm going to use the one and the five in all exotics there, Judge Miller and Bright Leaf. We move to race number seven. This one's six and a half furlongs down the hill. It's the first level allowance for Calbred runners, and I think the three gypsy tiers, very interesting. There's not a lot of speed in here, and he could end up in a really nice spot. Three races back, he was on this same turf course going down the hill. He was a very good second that day, beating only a neck. His last three races, really his last four losses, have all been when he lost to a horse who won going wire to wire. And there should be I think, at least a little more contentious of a pacing here between the one I'm so told or... Hell, Gypsy Tears might even be faster than most of these. So, so it's either he's not facing as fast of horses because he might be faster than most, or he lets them go and you have horses like the one, like the eight, um, maybe even the five pushing each other. Gypsy Tears, Bronco Nagurski, I think it's the horse to beat. Second start back, no knocks. And Billy's Bet had a sneaky troubled trip last time out. This cutback should really help him. Those are the three I'm going to use in this one with the three, two, and six. We move to race number eight. It's the grade two San Pasquale. The number four Newgate looks like the horse to beat. I think Newgrange ran his best race last time, and I feel like Newgate's a better horse overall. He's going to go second start back off of a long, long layoff. He looked like he needed the race. He's faced reincarnate, having a meltdown, Forte, Cave Rock. I think he's the one to beat. Mr. Fisk, 
Needs a little pace help up front. Another one who's come out of some good races against strong foes like Reincarnate. Sad to talk about Practical Move and Go Rocket Ride, Rest in Peace, Skinner, Hajazi, Fort Bragg, Conclude. Then you have Two Rivers Over, who is a real product of what O'Neill likes to do with horses like this. Doug O'Neill claimed this horse for 30000 after he'd been facing better. And Doug, it's I was comparing it to sort of a money ball way of doing things. Some A horse who's had ability, who may have had higher expectations, will their connections get a little frustrated and they drop them down and that's when Doug goes and claims them and he figures out how to get this horse ready. Two Rivers Over has won four straight dirt races. Six, four, one. Even the seven mixto, if you're going a little deeper, I think is interesting. He looked really good late in that race. He had a nice gallop out and he's always flashed some ability. Six, uh, I'm going to go four, six, one, seven in race number eight. We close out Santa Anita, race number nine. Uh, I thought the number seven in here was going to be pretty, pretty live, and that's Hurricane Cloud. I'm not really going to give you too much outside the box in this race because I do think Hurricane Cloud, who was squeezed back a bit at the start, was uh, just in a troubled spot last time out. Makes a whole lot of sense here. I'm going to use the nine as well. That is Kingmeister. He has a little versatility to him, and I could see him sitting a trip if he needs to or flashing a little speed. Others, like the three, Flavius, uh, the one, Irish Heat Wave, the two, Brother Reed. These are horses that just don't win all that often. Indian Peak also. I'm going to try to build around the seven and the nine. Good luck at Santa Anita on Saturday. Let's finish up with What If? Season 2. Tim Kelly joins me to discuss all of Season 2. We give some tidbits on each episode, and then we share our favorite episodes and some of our favorite stories from Season 2 of What If. Are back after a little time off for the holidays. The MCU has a couple new projects out, and we are going to discuss them over the next few weeks. First up, What If Season 2 dropped right around the holidays. So uh, some of you may have missed it because it came out one episode per day around uh, about a week and a half around Christmas time. Tim Kelly joins me like always. Anytime there's something going on in the world of Marvel in the MCU, we got to call in TK to help us out. Buddy, how's everything going on your end? And uh, let's talk some what if. Yeah, it's great to be back. I'm really happy to have a fresh batch of uh, Marvel episodes to talk about with you. And we've got uh, quite a, quite a few on our plate right now uh, with the, with the with the new release schedule, which I thought was uh, was interesting. I thought it was a welcome change. I, I do like the week to week, but this was nice around the holidays. Yeah, and I think with the style of show that What If is, we'll talk What If now mm-hmm. in the next week or two. We'll we'll talk Echo, which also came out, but for this show, we'll just be focused on What If. Nine episodes, and just the feel with the animation, the style of show, the fact that it is a little more fun, a little less Mm -hmm. heavy, a little less um, Mm -hmm. finite in everything that's happening. I I thought it was a pretty quick, kind of breezy sort of watch. It didn't seem too heavy. Like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't really disappointed too much because I don't think my expectations were all too high. And I thought there were Mm -hmm. a couple pretty fun stories throughout the nine episodes. Yeah, my expectations were uh, really exceeded 
Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. And yeah, um, there, you know, there, it was a breezy watch, but there were some good stakes throughout. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised with how everything was very episodic and contained, but it was also kind of serialized. There were continuations. There was a to be continued throughout the season. And there was a through line that connected to last season. And uh, we really had kind of the heart of the story in, in Captain Carter. We also got a brand new character introduced. Which is really yeah. cool to think about in the entire history of comics and the MCU. There have been only characters that we've had developed before. This was actually mm-hmm. the first ever MCU story that is unique. And mm-hmm. what I love about this is I'm, I, I've heard really good responses Mm-hmm. Talking a little bit about episode six and the new character, yeah. uh, Kahori. This is something that I could absolutely see she being in live action sometime soon in a character that was developed in a series like this. I think that's exactly mm. what they were shooting for is yeah. you can kind of use a show like this as almost a tester, right? You can mm-hmm. kind of throw some things out there, see what the response is, see how they, um, how it plays out. And then you can, you know, you can move some things around the chessboard a little bit. I, I enjoyed yeah. this. I, I really did. And I thought that character was like a genuinely cool take on a Native American superhero mm-hmm. character. It felt like something a little bit different than we've, than we've seen before in the MCU. Yeah, you're right. And I like your point about um, using what if as kind of a tester, a little bit of a, a testing ground or a launching pad for certain characters. And this was a, a wholly unique character that was, I think, created for the, the series and I think could have legs outside of what if and in in live action. But we've also already seen this um, come to fruition with last season. We, we got to see Captain Carter and then we got to see her in, in live action with Multiverse, Multiverse of Madness. So mm-hmm. uh, there's already precedent for, you know, the move from what if to live action. So I, I have no doubt that they're going to do that again. I, I think we're probably going to see Captain Carter again on the big screen. And I think yep. Kohori, really strong character, really great backstory, rich uh, character and and world that she kind of came from. So I think that there's a lot that they could do with her, especially with um, the focus on, you know, indigenous peoples uh, and the crossover there with Echo. I don't know. I haven't seen all of Echo yet, but, you know, it seems like they're exploring those stories. Absolutely. Uh, and perhaps there's even a way that they can intertwine those. I know we're, I believe we're dealing with two different tribes. Kahuri is uh, Mohawk, whereas I think uh, Choctaw is what uh, Echo that is. That could be I'm no expert, but, um, you know, perhaps they they interact in some way. Um, I don't know historically if they ever did that, but it's it's the MCU. We're, we're dealing with alternate universes. We could see any any uh, variation on, you know, what we've actually seen in, in reality. There's no need for us to be tied to exactly like, you know, our own history or anything like that. So who, who knows? There could be some really strong connections there. And you hit on a good point. Uh, Captain Carter was a big part of this season. It did feel like some of those characters, um, I was reading in a recap of someone, uh, I can't remember this, where this was from, but they, and I, I agreed. It's, it, it succeeded in elevating some of these side characters and villains and just making them feel a little bit bigger, like a little bit more yeah. of main, main major characters in some of these stories. I thought that was yeah. the case. Um, Captain Carter, a big, big part. Now... Mm-hmm. One of the negatives, or I don't necessarily know about negatives, but some mm-hmm. a critique that I could get be uh, behind was mm-hmm. with the the multiverse and how they're playing off of different things. 
Mm-hmm. I would love to see in a future series if they were to bring this back using even different styles of animation for different mm. for multiverses, right? You you have right. a different character and they may have a different look than a different right. character from a different multiverse. That could get a little right. bit tricky with just animation mm. style, right? Doing it, yeah. but I I'd, I'd heard that brought up more than once and I thought that was an intriguing idea. I'm not going to be too yeah. hard on them for not doing it yet because I do think right. this was a kind of a fun their take on animation but now that mm-hmm. they got a good response from this maybe there is something that they could do to sort of raise the bar kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of what we saw in like uh visions right i don't know if you ever watched mm-hmm. the star wars right, uh, right. short show where you have sort of different yeah. takes on things maybe yeah. but I, I didn't i'm not going to be too critical on this series because i did have mm-hmm. a good amount of fun with it and i like i like when they take uh, take some swings, so I don't want to be too hard on them for it. But I thought yeah. that was, you know, that could be even more fun. You know, seeing different animation all together in one episode or from all these different characters. Totally, and I, you know, I have two main thoughts on that uh, in terms of animation style. Um, one, we've seen it uh, into the Spider Verse. The Spider Verse movies do that. They use that with, when they go to the different universes. It's Didn't a different. The Simpsons style. even do something like this way back in the oh, yeah. day? I feel like you know, absolutely. The yeah. Simpsons have done. They've, They've always CG the Simpsons have always and, done yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah. So this could absolutely work uh, for for what if, and I think um, they they should try it out. At some point, you mentioned um, Star Wars Visions. I don't know if they're, it's connected, but I think the Matrix, Animatrix, also had a similar conceit to the way that uh, that was done. It was like s- several short films done in different like anime styles, uh, and they were all they all had their own unique kind of um, look to it and set within the the, the Matrix world. Uh, I think Star Wars Visions might even have some sort of create creative team connection there, but may- maybe they're just uh, similar um, ideas. But the other um, thing I wanted to say about the animation style is I really thought that it was beautiful this year. I, do too. Um, I, I like think it they a lot. established it. Yeah, they established the look in season one and they, and they built off of that. I remember in season one, one of my critiques was that they had this beautiful animation, but every once in a while it would be kind of janky, feel like flash animation. I didn't notice that one time in this this season. And I thought it was just exceedingly beautiful from the beginning to the end. Uh, and it has this great combination of kind of an anime inspired look but also classic disney uh and and, you know comic books right off the page kind of a look um so i like that it's it's they've struck their own unique um style for it and that's a a great way to put it unique it feels it feels like it's their own right and it um what was really cool about the way they told these stories to nine episodes, what I'll do is I'll just kind of mention the titles of some of them. And then Tim and I are going to get into a couple of our favorite ones that we would recommend mm-hmm. that you guys definitely want to go watch or at least check out uh, if you only are picking a few out of this season. But it's a quick mm-hmm. watch. Go throw this thing on in the background while yeah. you're doing some work or, you know, while you're around, you'll you'll enjoy it and you'll you'll get into it. And the the way that they approach this with like just. They had takes on funny movies, funny stories for a lot of the styles of these episodes, which makes you get a little bit into it, too, and it makes you have fun with it. I thought the humor through a lot of the episode, uh, a lot of the episodes was very um, just honest, not not forced, which is something that we mention sometimes where you can things can get a little cringy when you feel like, oh, they they had to insert joke here, you know, something like that didn't feel as much like that things. The characters felt pretty real, pretty lived in. And we got a take on 
uh, Blade Runner. We got a take mm-hmm. on Die Hard and a bunch of other Christmas ah. movies in, in yeah. uh, the episode three. What if Happy Saved Christmas? We got just totally different styles of 20 to 30 minute episodes that mm-hmm. the directors and the producers of this show, they weren't even trying to hide it. They said, oh, we had fun with it. We were playing off of movies and shows that we loved. They even mm-hmm. mentioned things like uh, 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 maybe he's going to be frozen in carbonite, you know, like right. a reference to Star Wars. I I laughed and was like, what? Did they really say that? A few times. Um, right off the bat, we get to, to spend a while with Howard the Duck, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many great uh, movie references and little parody moments uh, that I, I really appreciated them. And just outright um, name dropping of movies uh, and, and elements from the movies. We got Flux Capacitor mentioned at one point. I love um, seeing pop culture stuff go through the, the, the lens of like Captain America and mm-hmm. Captain Carter. Like they, they continued that from the movies of how like, you know, Steve Rogers was uh, follow like catching up on all of his uh, like the major pop culture milestones, like re- watching Star Wars and things like that. And you <laughs> yep. can see on parallel, uh, you know, Captain Carter's doing the same thing. And so I, I love seeing that, like that person out of time, uh, catching up on all these things that, that you know, we, we've just grown up with. But yeah, I, I loved it. I love seeing Howard the Duck and, and, you know, the first episode out of that. That, that really kicked it off with like a great, um, it set it set the tone, I think, for the season of what what was possible. And like uh, you kind of mentioned, uh, having these side characters be kind of front and center. This was his real uh, that, that the first episode with Howard the Duck. Uh, that was his time to shine, I think, uh, more I so than any other time in the in the MCU so far. And I, we've been waiting to, for some good Howard the Duck. I'm a, I'm a fan of the old movie. I, I watched it. Oh, me too, man. I love that movie. Yeah. My mom. My mom, I don't know. She said she used to not like. Cause she, like my mom, was annoyed by it. And when I was little, she'll even tell me, "You used to watch that freaking movie over." And I would be like, "No, not Howard <laughs> the Duck again, please." And I would just right. love it. It's just so, such a, such a funny, just one of those like cult classics. Now, when you look back at it, it's just, it's hilarious. And he's a character that moving forward, you know, they could expand on a little bit more. I would not be shocked mm-hmm. to see in the next phase of things. Um, a little more focus on a character like Howard. And yeah. it, it was a blast. Episode one, what if Nebula joined the Nova Court? So that's where we saw Howard. And at the end of the episode, we get the new Guardians team formed, yeah. led by Nebula. And this was the Blade Runner episode. Yeah. Take, yeah. Where we got a lot of uh, that dark, rainy, grimy feel. Uh-huh. We just saw this in a few different places in Star Wars, too. Almost that exact same look with that, like, the real right. dark, rainy feel. Looks like a seedy underbelly of crime. There, But there's all sorts of, like, neon lights all over. It's almost mm-hmm. like a Vegas-y, sort of Tokyo-type place. Um, yeah. Just a cool, cool feel right off the bat. Yeah. And a neon noir kind of vibe. Exactly. And you know what? For most of these episodes... As we go through them, like episode two is one I wanted to talk a little bit more about. But for a lot of them, we get, you know, the major characters, Michael Douglas, Haley Atwell, Mm -hmm. Kurt Russell, Chris Hemsworth, Lawrence Fishburne, Sebastian Stan. They all voice their characters here Um, in episode three. John Favreau, Kat Dennings, Kobe Smothers, uh, Sam Rockwell, Mark Ruffalo, Jeremy Renner. So you're having complete scenes where yeah. all the characters are talking to each other and it feels like normal. It's really only when you hear, you know, the Natasha 
and Tony Stark and Steve Rogers that sound a little different, but they become they find their own voice, and I it doesn't seem too jarring after a long after a while. Like you, you sort of feel, oh, mm-hmm. that's Tony, you know, that's that's Steve, and um, yeah, and I I my when I was talking to you, I said. Let's see if we can kind of find three episodes or three stories that we enjoyed the most. And mm-hmm. for me, one of them was was episode two. What if Peter yeah. Quill attacked Earth's mightiest heroes? And why mm-hmm. I like this one is because it was just a simple flip of like one part of the story that we already knew for Guardians with Peter. Yeah. Where Peter was supposed to be uh, – Peter was found by Yondu and mm-hmm. instead of – being you know raised by the guardians there peter is brought back to his dad his dad ego who is evil and wants to take over and so that's the dynamic shift that we see here and mm-hmm. what is what i really like about this i thought the team putting the team together and the characters yeah. uh was a lot of fun like watching we see peggy and howard start to recruit their team bill foster mm-hmm. uh king tachaka Bucky Barnes, Dr. Wendy, and then Hank Pym. And Hank mm-hmm. brings his daughter, Hope. And we get a, a couple cool interactions with Hope and a young Peter Quill. And that's sort of what well, – that's kind of the catalyst for our story is that these two kids are able to interact with each other and realize that they're just children. They're not bad. Mm-hmm. And Peter's able to find his family here like he did with the Guardians in just a different way. A similar yeah. type story, just a little different, a couple other characters that get elevated. I thought this was a fun one, and I I, I enjoyed seeing this one. I really liked it too, and this was one of my uh, top three. I actually chose four because uh, I, I counted 208 and 209 to, uh, as nice. one episode. Yeah, nice. Uh, but yeah, this was one of my favorites too. Uh, I, I love that... Um, Peter and uh, Hope, they get, or is it Hope? What's her name? Gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hope Van Dyne. Yeah. Yep. Peter, Peter and Hope, they, they uh, bond over the shared, like, loss of their mother. That's a great thing. And it, it kind of reminded me in a, in a random way of uh, how Batman and Superman bond in that very controversial oh, yeah. uh, moment in Batman yes. versus Superman. They're like, Martha, why did you say that name? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's like a similar thing that they, these two characters have that same, they both lost their mother and at around a similar time. Uh, and um, I think with the timing of it, I want to say it was uh, 88, I think this episode ca- happened in. And yes. so it's like a year after the, the mother uh, disappeared. And so it, it's this fresh thing for both of them. Uh, and then they, they're, they're just to be that constant, that sort of canon event uh uh, thing I forget what we call it in, in the MCU proper, uh, but you know that constant moment where uh, there's a, there's a Walkman that has this significance uh, yep. to them. But in this case, it's it's given by by Hope and um, and and not uh, his mother. But then there's also the the Star Lord reference at, at the end and the the confrontation with the father, which happens in a very similar way. And and like you mentioned, he um, Peter finds himself. Uh, with a new found family instead of being the Guardians. This time it's the Avengers. Uh, and so it's just th- things are moved around in time a little bit. Uh, but, you know, there's all these sort of constants um, that that pillar from one universe to the next. Uh, and I think that that's really cool. And, and it was a really interesting twist every 
twist that they gave us here. Uh, and so uh, this episode was the one that, you know, I was into the first episode with the Blade Runner style um, and Howard the Duck. I was like, yeah, this is going to be cool. But I, I felt like it was what I got last season. This episode, I felt like elevated it and gave me something that I really wanted to see, like an alternate new version of the Avengers. It felt the same way. It felt yeah, the same total way. Like the first was like, oh, this is fun. Hyped. But this yeah. one I got into, just the story, and I was really like, okay, now now this season is up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was episode two of our nine episodes. The third one I had to point out and bring as one of mine. It was just such a blast. What if Happy Hogan saved Christmas? It yes. was just a total ripoff of Die Hard. But yep. you get uh, Christmas story references. You oh, get yeah. You actually get... John Favreau saying to Kat Dennings, "Hey, John McClane." He actually he right. calls her John McClane. And we get we get a Reginald Zell Johnson she, reference in this. She episode. says that <laughs> there's a moment when she's singing a Christmas song, Darcy, and she says, yeah. "When the feast came roundly about on the feast of Steve Rogers," which yeah, I just yeah. thought was <laughs> the stupidest thing, but it made me laugh. Like I do that kind of stuff with songs all the time, just changing the yeah. words and trying to make my son or Stephanie laugh. And um, the soundtrack it, too interpolated, um, I think, like the Avengers music with the yes. music. Oh my gosh! And it was such a great holiday perennial, and now was. Disney Plus Marvel has given us a bunch of Christmas content. Like I rewatched Hawkeye. Yes. I did this too. Year. I did too. And, and I just randomly put it on and I just found myself watching through the whole thing and showing it to, to my son. It was a lot of fun and it had its own diehard Shane Black Christmas kind of stuff. And this felt like an extension of that in its own universe. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this every year now. I, I was so happy that they gave us that. <laughs> Me too. It's uh, We watched the, um, the Guardian special and Hawkeye this yeah, year again uh, on, yeah. around Christmas. So now this will be yeah. adding right in. Uh, I mean, we... So happy, what happens in this uh, is it's Christmas Eve and happy is mm-hmm. security at Avengers Towers for their big holiday party. And Justin Hammer, the Sam Rockwell mm-hmm. character, the Tony Stark wannabe character, mm-hmm. he wants he breaks out of prison and he wants to try to steal some of Bruce Banner's blood and Tony's uh, technology. And I thought. The character Justin Hammer, I thought was really funny in this episode too. Yeah. They leaned in even more to some of like him trying to mimic Tony Stark stuff, but yeah. in, in a real play on the uh, the actor Sam Rockwell, I can mm-hmm. always like anytime he pops up, and I know they mentioned this on New Rock Stars. He's like, mm-hmm. it's like Brad Pitt eating in a movie. Sam Rockwell always gets to dance, you know, yeah. in a movie. Yeah. It's yeah, where Adam yeah. Sandler singing in a movie. You know, there's yeah. always like, going to be a scene where you've got Sam Rockwell doing this little dance. And I can just laugh seeing the, the animated character doing it, yeah. you know. And I thought it was funny. And then Happy accidentally injects himself and becomes <laughs> Hulk Happy. Happy Hulk, the big, huge purple Hulk it is. It is I flashed funny. back to Secret Invasion for for a minute. For a second, <laughs> me too. Yeah, <laughs> just the one, like, one, oh, one. no, <laughs> purple, no. Yeah. But it it was just it was fun, man. And I gotta say, I don't think it's harder to do this with a a movie, right? Especially a live mm-hmm. action movie that you spend so much time and money and everything in. But 
Mm-hmm. These, these, a few of these contained episodes were some of the most fun I've had in a while with MCU stuff. And this was one of them mm-hmm. where it was just like 20 minutes of like, you're just laughing and you're like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, another reference. Oh my gosh. It's a cool well, total Christmas story. I thought different. Like you said, there are going to be some swings and misses, but this was fun. <laughs> and you and I both have a, a nice little 20 minute, 30 minute Christmas movie or Christmas episode yeah. to add to our collection every year now. I loved it. Yeah, this was also on my list. I think it might be my favorite of the season. I think it might have uh, been for me, too. I think it's got the most rewatch value. Like like I said, I feel like it's go- it's going on my list of perennial things to watch around the holidays every year. Um, it, that's one of the nice things about the holidays, too. You bring out movies that connect you to the to the past and, and your nostalgia for those holidays. And I, I just love films and, and television so much that I love to revisit old Christmas episodes of things. I love how the the streaming services now uh, have tried to offer uh, those specifically in like little playlists. Oh um, yeah, they'll give you all the episodes. They'll yeah. give you the Hulu Christmas or the whole Peacock well, yeah. Christmas section. And, yeah. yeah, all the episodes of Friends on, on uh, HBO Max and stuff like that. Uh, I think probably Peacock does it for The Office and all their, their shows. Parks and Rec is a good one too. Yeah, they yeah, have some yeah, of those. Yeah. Yep. And I watched a few of those too. I'm mixing uh, across the different uh, streaming services, but Disney Plus had it too. And so I, I use that a little bit. I think that's what inspired me to check out Hawkeye again this year. Uh, and so I, I think it's really cool that that list will keep growing over time. And the, the, that this wasn't just, uh, oh, it was Christmas themed, so it's being added to the list. It was actually good. It was. It, it had some interesting things to it. Even even this Happy Hulk Hogan kind of twist. Uh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that we were going to get anything like that. And not only did we get it, it had legs outside of the episode. So I mean, we could uh, later on in the in the series. What if we see him come back? And then it's like maybe we'll see that in live action too. John Favreau has a great relationship with Disney. He's clearly still down to come back and do the voices. I'm glad to see all those voices uh, coming back. Only a few missing, like you said. Um, And so, yeah, I would love to see this have legs. Maybe they're trying that out too. Because, man, I could feel like there would be some fun stuff there with yeah, uh, with Happy Hulk and Aunt May in a unit in a yes. multiverse, right? Poor Aunt oh May not God. around anymore. But I yeah. feel like he could pop up somewhere, and she. Then I just feel like there would be something there, you know, kind of funny, like, you know, or yeah, him and Ruffalo together, kind of yeah. like being like like a bromance movie Absol- with those oh, two. Yeah. That there, would be there's some, there's some real untapped stuff I think with Favreau. Yeah. I think I think oh, yeah. his character is one that could because of all of the 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 interactions and the relationship he had with Tony, he can mm-hmm. sort of be an extension of Tony, you yeah. know, without having to completely bring him back. So he could yeah. be thinking about things that Tony's taught him, Tony said to him, like as he's trying to become this superhero, there could be a really good story with him, you know. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so just a blast here. Episode three, what if Happy Hogan saved Christmas? <laughs> So I'm just going to mention a few of the uh, other titles along the way before we get to some of the other ones we liked. The fourth one was what if Iron Man crashed into the Grand Master? So uh, we have some fun here with Jeff Goldblum coming back into the uh, the MCU. Uh, the he fifth had funny lines too. Yeah. Uh, real real quick, I just want to mention yeah. he had some funny lines, and I liked the conceit of this episode. It wasn't my favorite, but it had it had some fun, like a racing kind of a theme to it, and some nice homages to like. Mad Max and Speed Racer, uh, so I, I I dug it for what it was, but again, not my favorite, not one of the standouts from the se- from the season. Good, though, still good. 
the fifth episode, what if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper? What mm. I really liked about this episode was the relationship with uh, Peggy and Natasha. I thought they did yeah. a, gr- a really good job of the, the, the showing the two of them developing a relationship. They find Steve Rogers and mm-hmm. basically um, – you know, we kind of we get to relive a lot of the stuff between Peggy, between Steve. That feels like yeah. even even every time we sometimes you're like, ah, oh, we've been here a while, but they do seem to to kind of hit a different point a lot of the times yeah. they go back. So uh, I always kind of enjoy that because it does give you yeah. a little bit of a nostalgic feel for you know the like seeing skinny Steve Rogers and and yeah. just like the beginning of the MCU all over again. Absolutely. And I really liked this episode, too. It wasn't on my short list, but it barely uh, missed the cut for it. Um, I, I felt like it, it would have been just outside of my top three. Yep. Yeah. And it was connected to some of the other episodes that I did pick. Like I said, I, I kind of combined 208 and 209, even though they're totally different episodes, but they're there are directly connected with the to be continued. This one also was basically directly connected via a to be continued, too. So it's almost like a three part episode. So. And in a way, it's 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 a, it's on my honorable mentions from this season because it was really good, and in a way, kind of hard to separate from those other ones. Episode six: What if Kahori reshaped the world? Uh, this one was on for me just because of the new character. I I loved and I wanted to make sure that we mentioned this. What ends up yeah. happening here? The Tesseract crash lands in a lake in pre-colonial America. So after. And, and at the time, I think they're saying around 15th century, uh, mm-hmm. or there are tribes people that interact with it, and they disappear. And it mm-hmm. becomes known as the Forbidden Lake. A young Mohawk uh, brother and sister, they're being hunted by Spanish conquistadors. Again, when it brings real history into yeah. the MCU, these are just things that I, I get a, a real kick out of. So we see yeah. these kids hiding from Spanish conquistadors. And one of the girls falls into the Forbidden Lake, and it teleports her to another dimension, and she's actually brought back to health by some of the Mohawk people. She gets, like, explained what's happened, that these missing people were actually taken to a different world called the Sky World. They gain powers. They gain immortality. And she's now able to learn and familiarize herself with her powers, which seem to be immense, super speed, teleport all sorts of energy that she can emit and mm-hmm. it's she just has this great genuine good guy hero feel to mm-hmm. her it, like it's like pocahontas obviously they're you mm-hmm. know they're they're kind of building off but oh, i love interact i love just introducing this brand new character and then doctor mm-hmm. strange at the end comes out because remember she's a variant mm-hmm. now She has gone back in time and has tried to save her people and change the world. And she has set forth Mm -hmm. a domino effect, a butterfly effect, changing things moving forward. So another one where we got a story told, but this one uh, finishes up in Mm -hmm. episode nine of this season. So we mentioned her a little bit when we uh, we were talking at the beginning, but I thought, uh, which is not always easy to do, introducing a brand new character. I thought they did a really nice job here. Yeah, I I really did like this episode. It wasn't on my short list, and it actually was probably one of my least favorites of the season. I just played devil's advocate here, but honestly, that's my my honest opinion on it uh, because I just had the most complaints about it. Now that said, like uh, like I started to say just now, 
I, I liked it. I liked the episode a lot, and I liked what they brought uh, to the table with it. Um, so you said a lot of like nice things about it. Can't disagree with really anything that you you said there. Um, what I will kind of just bring up is I felt she was a little bit of a Mary Sue. I don't want to you know sound bigoted or anything. That, that, that is, they didn't yeah. get deep into her, right? It was very like. Mm-hmm. The check the pieces, or, you know, check the boxes, or just you know the the very um, yeah. safe way of doing it. Well, like, what was her fatal flaw? That wasn't clear to me. She she wasn't a three dimensional character so much as like this avatar for like perfection in a way, and that's a little bit unrelatable to me. And to me, it felt like tr- trying to force this image of you know native or indigenous people as uh, like um uh what's the what's the word uh, I guess. Like, there's that, the magical Negro, um, uh, what's that, trope uh, that they have for African-Americans. It's almost like the the native version of that. Yes. uh, If if you can uh, imagine that. So it's a little little too perfect and, uh, like, a little bit too, um, like, preachy, I I, I felt. And also it felt like a bit of a a two-dimensional presentation of the colonial and indigenous dynamic. Like you mentioned, I love when they interweave history, but I felt like the history was a little detached from reality. Um, Spanish explorers were portrayed here as like this ravenous, bloodthirsty animal type uh, human being, like really no humanity to them. While the Mohawk people were just this perfectly peaceful, you know, in harmony kind of like culture. And that's just not exactly what it was. The Mohawk people were warring tribes. Um, The Spanish, I don't think even interacted with them. It was more so they were down in like Florida, uh, whereas the Mohawk are up north. Uh, but we could also say alternate universe, alternate history. Maybe the Spanish landed more north than, you know, what was expected. I, I could I could write all this stuff off. Uh, but And at the end of the day, these were minor quibbles on an overall strong season. These were just, for me, what stood out as the weak parts of this episode and kind of got in the way of me, me, me liking it. But like I said, I did in the end like it. It was a good thing. I loved that they did the whole thing with subtitles. I thought the character had really cool powers. I liked where they went with her in episode nine. Um, and yeah, I just thought that it could have been a little bit more three-dimensional, the presentation of the, the characters and the cultures that were shown. And like, just because they were European colonialists didn't mean they were these like rabid, bloodthirsty <laughs> animal people that just came over to just kill and destroy people. That's not exactly how it worked out. And I, I think that that's a, a trope and a, like an idea that's kind of gained a lot of traction in, you know, in our culture, the idea that any, you know, Europeans that came to this country were, were inherently bad. Murderers. Yeah. And so it's just, not, it's not quite that simple, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, we're dealing with alternate history they're telling the story they wanted to tell. I think it's it's great that they are centering the story around an indigenous uh, character and that they created this really cool character from there. I just thought maybe they could have given a little bit more spice to the character, a little bit more um, roots, down-to-earth humanity, something. I, I feel like there was a little bit of, um, uh, whatchamacallit, a, uh, like, hinting at maybe that she's going to be a little bit out of control with her power. She's going to take it too far. Um, but yeah, to me, uh, going back to the Mary Sue thing, it was like, okay, uh, all these, uh, other indigenous people from her tribe got this power. Why is, why is she 
so much better than all those other people. So much more controlled, so much more. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't what get a reason there. I had to kind of think of my own reason. And my, my, the only thing I could think of was like, okay, she came over later. So maybe like the power in that pool grew over time. So that like when she, when she went through it, that she got more power than everybody else. I, I couldn't otherwise put my finger on like why she was like the best of them all. Like uh, there was just no logic behind that. I, I would have liked just one little explanation there. What I do uh, very, very valid uh, thoughts on some of the positives, some of the negatives from this episode. One thing you hit on, and I want to give them credit for this. And even in echo, this isn't a spoiler or anything. What I've noticed in some of what I'm watching when you're telling stories like this, you know, that's this has been a thing for in and I think in in American TV and call and cinema and, uh, t- um, you know, movie production for a while. They don't love throwing subtitles on stuff or then they don't no. love because <laughs> they don't. It's not it's not a thing. So I like the fact that they were been willing to do that because it, it makes the story feel more natural, feel more mm-hmm. real to the story they want to tell. And even in Echo, same sort of thing. You spend a lot of time in in different scenes with a mm-hmm. girl that doesn't talk, a deaf girl. So there's there's lots of right. moments you're watching for like three minutes, and there's no there's nothing said, there's no dialogue. Right. It, so and you actually can, have to watch it. You do, hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. No, so you can't you just can, be like on your phone listening. Ab- completely, and and you're hearing what's going on because if you're not watching and yeah. you're not seeing, you miss an entire scene of of what happened. Yeah. And I. I you know, we're saying it, it's difficult sometimes, especially for maybe somebody who's just flipping this show on and isn't mm-hmm. 1,000% invested to come watch it. But yeah. I do like the fact that they're trying different things and they're willing to take a, a different stance on some of these things and say, oh, you know what? Well, yeah, she's deaf and yeah, there shouldn't be as much dialogue here and there, but we have to do that to make the show a little bit more interesting. I, I like this is one of the things yeah. about having the streaming service that allows mm-hmm. you to take a few more swings that might not always hit, but you could maybe get a big hit in just allowing yourself to take some of these swings. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, a, a show like What If is kind of uniquely positioned to try stuff out, right? I mean, it's literally in the title. It's like, what mm-hmm. if, you know, what if they did this? What if they did that? Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that goes anywhere. It just has to exist and be cool for what it is. And then if it, if it becomes something more than that, you know, it's a great launch pad for it. And yeah, it's, it's, that makes it a great opportunity to do really different things and, and more risky things. And, you know, putting a bunch of subtitles on an animated Marvel program uh, is not the first option. I think that, you know, MCU executives w- would go for, uh, but it is an interesting thing for them to do. And it gives them some kind of story credibility and, you know, uh, credibility as storytellers. That is uh, that they're trying to do something authentic, that they're trying to do something new. Um, and that they're not just, you know, retreading over, you know, old, uh, accomplishments they're they're expanding that's what this whole thing's about expanding and interconnecting and uh, yeah that was a great way that they could do it reminds me also of something that they had some success with in the past uh, few years with prey a very successful hulu mm-hmm. uh film uh in the predator franchise which was i believe uh i haven't seen it i've just heard great things about it um i believe it was also done with subtitles uh and all taking place 
um, at, in a period uh, as a period piece uh, amongst uh, a tribe uh, centered around um, a woman in in, the, in that tribe. And so, uh, yeah, I think this is almost uh, an extension of that and the idea that uh, the writers and the studios are, are willing to go there. Uh, and so, yeah, this is just one more example of that. And I think it's a good thing. Episode seven was titled, What If Hela Found the Ten Rings? As we see Odin banish Hela to Earth, strip her of her mm-hmm. powers, and she lands in medieval China and with the armies of uh, Wenwu. She tries to retrieve the crown in a very Loki way. We see her, yeah. you know, very like very much like Loki here. A lot of the uh, the oh, yeah. attributes of Loki, um, <clears throat> and she ends up joining Wenwu, fighting against Odin, and winning. Mm-hmm. And ultimately becoming the 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 child that Odin had always wanted, you know, being better than yeah. the father. Um, so we get the full circle story here. Um, mm-hmm. We actually see Gamora too, uh, and uh, the like a little bit of Gamora as as Thanos attacks them. So, right. what'd you think about our look at uh, the Ten Rings here with Hela, and uh, as we journeyed back to China? Yeah. This was uh, another really good episode, uh, not on my short list for favorites, but uh, I loved the mashup of it. I loved that we got basically yes. a retelling of, of, of the Thor story from the first, um, you know, from phase one of the MCU, mashed up with the Shang-Chi uh, backstory. And uh, I thought it worked really well. The, the and I wouldn't have picked it. It the, wouldn't have been yeah. one I would have said these two. No. It's like when you put two foods together that work. You know, I would have said these would not have been the two stories I would have ever thought were intertwined, but but it did kind of work. Yeah, man, it's like Kogi bar, like Korean barbecue with uh, with uh, a burrito, man. Like that's (laughs) unexpected, beautiful combination. You know, Uh, shout out Roy Choi. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) I I, I thought the episode was really cool. uh, The way that they had the moments that mirrored, you know, Thor's journey from from that film I mentioned with, you know, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Instead of worthiness, it was about for her finding mercy. Um, I did find one huge flaw in the story and the characterization here. And um, uh, I wasn't alone in this because I heard uh, new rock stars make, make the same complaint. Uh, that's that Odin in this story is just all over the place. It's like, yeah. who, who is Odin in this really story? inconsistent? So inconsistent. So that that's the one thing that just really threw me off. I actually thought when I watched it, I was like, did I stop paying attention? And then there was some, some like inciting incident with Odin that caused him to revert back to being an asshole. Cause it like, almost felt like, like there was a cut or a scene missing. Yeah. Like totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. It just, it just made no sense. It was inconsistent what he wanted. Uh, he wanted her to find mercy at first. Like he was this, this like kind of evolved, you know, merciful God. And then by at the end of it, she's, you know, found all this mercy and, and wants to protect them, uh, the, the humans of Earth and whatnot. And he's coming down again to, to bring the wrath. And it's just like, wh- wh- where was where was Odin from before? Like, where's this mer- merciful Odin? Uh, it just made very little sense to me. It seemed like they just kind of had him do what they felt they needed to do for the arc of the story. Yep. Maybe it would have worked better if there was a different villain at the end. Uh, if they put Thanos into the story somehow instead of uh, Odin. So maybe Thanos is coming and Odin's still in Asgard. And I don't know. Add one more character to the story so that Odin doesn't have to just kind of flip-flop in this weird random way. And it when I was 
putting them in order to this one was towards the bottom. It wasn't that I hated it, but just some some of the holes that we're we're pointing out here, just like yeah. some some of the others a little bit more as we get to the final two episodes of the season, episode eight. This was such a blast. We go back in time. What if the Avengers assemble in 1602? What just stood out to me so much from this episode was was um, Hiddleston and Favreau just like old timey Hiddleston playing Shakespeare and reciting all the lines over and over. I just he would pop me every time he would get into character and then seeing Sir, was it Sir Happy Hogan? <laughs> like the way he was, the way he was dressed. I, man, I had a blast, and we got a lot of major characters in this episode too, which makes it feel uh-huh. really fun and makes it feel like the stakes are high when you have a lot of the big players on the board. Yes, I loved it, and we got all those big players on the board, but with a twist. Uh, so that was what was so fun. It was a twist and a mashup of these great <laughs> classic, you know, uh, stories. So we had. Um, Robin Hood was the first one that I, I noticed with uh, yes. Steve Rogers. He was Rogers yes. Hood. Uh, we had a kind of a Three Musketeers thing going at one point. A Man in the Iron Mask with with Hulk. Um, the Sheriff of Nottingham was Happy H- uh, Hogan, like you mentioned. But they also had him have his Hulk out freak uh, kind of characterization that we, we we had introduced to us earlier in the se- uh, season. So it's like they're they're taking all these elements that they've built upon from the films and even earlier in the series, and then they're twisting them and they're building up on them. And uh, I thought it was just so much fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, like Mer- oh Merlin, I forgot to mention the Merlin yes. connection with um, Scarlet Witch was kind of a Merlin figure. Uh, we have all the Shakespeare connections with uh, Loki, kind of like semi-quoting um, Othello and taking. Uh, <laughs> referencing Othello <laughs> taking Iago as the main character, which is so perfect, uh, and it was it was uh, appropriate for the time too. I I, th- I think I saw in New Rock Stars or something that the that like the year that that took place would have been the year that Shakespeare was literally writing Othello. So cool. So that's that's it all connects perfectly. And uh, my understanding, I didn't put this one together. Credit New Rock Stars again, but apparently. You know, uh, because of Steve Rogers fighting Thanos and hitting the time stone, that's what caused the whole thing. Um, and then, uh, that, yeah, th- th- I thought that that was just a great uh, conceit for how everything started. But then that ties into Loki, again, as the god of stories and connecting to the end of uh, season two of Loki. And that possibly the whole reason why when that time stone was struck, they went back to this time was because it was the time during Shakespeare when the most uh, prolific storytelling uh, that Loki would be um, you know, familiar with was created. And so that there, that had that strong connection that pulled all those characters in that moment back to that time and matched them all up. I thought that was a really interesting concept. I don't know if I explained it in the best way right now. No, you- I thought that that was really cool. There was some fun banter here. A couple of uh, moments of uh, of Paul Rudd and Scott Lang, where I yes. thought it was really funny, and it, even just the just the premise of outlaw Steve Rogers makes me laugh. Just hearing it, you know, yeah. like outlaw yeah. Steve Rogers had to uh, heist, you know, and you had to help steal something. Which just when you think about uh, Captain America, so mm-hmm. really fun. And as you were pointing out, episode eight. Really, like, episode six, a couple of them all 
continue into episode nine. What if uh, Strange Supreme intervened? So Strange Supreme takes Captain Carter to the Sanctum and he asks her for help. He tells her, I'm having to catch these variants who are killing universes because they're changing, you know, the history and they're changing these timelines. So he he discusses with her that he needs her help finding a variant that um, in a universe where Hydra used the Tesseract to destroy the world. So they go to find Kahori, who we were introduced to in episode six. But Kahori is able to uh, let Captain Carter know that Strange mm-hmm. is lying. He's doing this yeah. for himself. He's capturing all of these variants to gain power. To feed a device that he built to resurrect his lost universe. Guess what? He wants to go find Christine again. <laughs> what? Uh, stop me if you heard that one. So I know yeah. we've kind of seen it before, but I think the way that it was able to tie the stories together, I liked seeing now Kohori interacting with other characters, I thought was cool. And I really did think Captain Carter had a very strong presence. Throughout Mm -hmm. the whole season I thought wow you know you watch her A few different times you almost feel like Yeah they could have done they could have done this They really could have rolled with this a little bit More and it might have worked and um, You get the scene At the two Scenes that in a show That was animated and Funny Mm -hmm. that that actually kind of Hit me at home and I felt The the scene when Mm. She goes back in time to the moment when her and Steve are there together yeah. standing and one of them is about to go in, right. in, the, in the machine. And, and it's, it's an illusion, right? It's the yeah, illusion. Yeah. And, and we've seen yeah. this before in, in many movies where, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to, like, you, do you just tell yourself how hard that would be for yourself, the person that you mm-hmm. love that you're not with, but you get to see them again. You want to believe it so much. But, but yeah. there was, like, the, you could see, it was like a bad graphic where Doctor Strange would kind of flash in. It reminded yeah, me of what yeah, happened yeah. with Miss Minutes, um, you know, mm. in Loki. Yeah, yeah. And she would kind of like the graphics would get a little glitchy. That that moment, um, and then the one at the end when they're just kind of standing, her and the Watcher mm-hmm. watching the yeah. green multiversal tree, and it kind of felt yeah. like Loki was all tied together. I thought they did a yeah. good job making me feel in in the end of this season, and in, in particular in this episode. Absolutely. There was there was something uh, magical about that that ending and the way it tied into the end of, of Loki uh, and, and very, it, it emotionally resonant as well. Uh, you get that longing kind of bittersweet uh, sadness that you get at a lot of the end of Captain America and Captain Carter's stories um, where, you know, they don't quite get what they want, but their stories are, are stories of sacrifice um, and that's that's the the crucial part of their character is that they're willing to sacrifice themselves uh, for a greater good. Um, and uh, in this series, we get to see Captain Carter really become like the most powerful, biggest, best version of herself. Yep. And it's to, to to a degree that she is standing shoulder to shoulder with this, you know, uh, with this the being the, the watcher, which is like a higher being, like a much higher being. She got the infinity gauntlet she was wearing the and wielding the infinity gauntlet in this episode amongst you know some other really powerful like you know universe ending kind of uh uh weapons and talismans 
Um, so, like, we've, we've seen, like, the most powerful version of her character, like, fully realized to the point what, where she's... At one point, she says she's going yeah. after... I think she's going after, is it the Hydra Stomper or someone in the... And the, somebody says, I don't, uh, I don't know. And she says, I've got a shield. And I just like that, you know, the, right. reminded me of the Cap way of saying it. And it was cool. I thought she right. she did a really nice job here. She They did. Right, yeah. And be- beautiful uh, imagery, too. I mean, we get that uh, that callback to earlier with the with the butterflies and which ties into the you know the butterfly effect um, the philosophical idea of the butterfly effect that was i think that was the the thing that triggered her right when she was thinking about hey yeah mm-hmm. this is steve this the guy that i love we could right. do this together and i think she saw that butterfly and it reminded mm-hmm. her no this isn't real right what could happen right. if mm-hmm. i if i do this here yeah and uh I think so. They're they're obviously teeing the character up for for more. I think with with Secret Wars down the line and with you know a multiversal incursion and some sort of a major event that's going to kind of reset the the the, the Marvel multiverse. They're going to have a place for her in that story either during the big incursion or on the other side of it. Uh, like they're going to have her be a character that's a mainstay or at least explore that character during the big change she uh, could have a blast yeah. with um i mean just like what we saw with the marvels right now feel yeah. like you interject her with somewhere with kamala that could yeah. be a blast you know just putting her in Absolutely. there with kate bishop and kamala you know and having her have to teach them a little bit and be sort of you know a role model for them even Throwing her in, like you could see now with the the girls that we just had in the Marvels, and you add her, like there could be some real funny, fun things that they lean into here. And I think they've got a. This does feel like a character. Mm-hmm. I don't think they could do this with very many characters where you just changed it from a male to a female and it feels totally different. But this one does feel mm-hmm. a lot different than I think Steve Rogers because we do mm-hmm. know her character, and she was actually her own character for a while in, uh, you know, in different. Yeah, different live action stuff, right? She has, mm-hmm. she has her own story, so we can kind of use her story, use Steve's yeah. a little bit. I, I liked, like, I felt really good about the way they built her and her character, and I totally agree with you. I, it seems, it doesn't seem like a coincidence, and I, I feel mm-hmm. like she could have a, a really nice part in some of these multiversal movies and stories coming up. Yeah, I sure hope so, because she's almost been underserved. I would say she has been underserved Absolutely. You know, as a whole. I mean, they gave her her own series. It was short-lived. There's always been interest in her, and her character's always lived and loomed larger than you know what's been presented to us. I think the, 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 the audience has wanted more Peggy Carter, more Kathleen Carter. Every, every morsel they've given us, we've been like, yeah, we like this, and we want more. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more from that one, but maybe, you know, that's a double-edged sword. Maybe they would have ruined the character if they if they forced too much on her plate, you know, before this time. But I feel like with what they've done so far and the affinity for her character, what we've seen, the little teases that we've got, the unfulfilled kind of promise of seeing her in Multiverse of Madness, but seeing her get dispatched so quickly, that leaves us like, oh, wanting more, I think, from, from her. We want to see her, her, her proper. And I think even uh, the actress has made a, uh, Haley Atwell, she's made a comment about feeling a little disappointed in how Multiverse of Madness, um, you know, played out with her character that she didn't get to do enough. Um, but yeah, Haley Atwell is great. I think we all really like her. She's she's it's in the awesome. new Mission Impossible movie, and and people say one of the best things about that. I haven't seen it yet. 
but just hear nothing but good things about those films. Um, and I've liked all the other ones, so I'm sure I'll like this new one. But Haley Atwell, I think it's her time. We got to get her something it before is. it's too late. I mean, she's yes. still in her prime. Let's 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 get her some something to really sink her teeth into and uh, make some money. <laughs> yeah, she deserves to be as rich as Robert Downey Jr. I think off this series. Absolutely agree. And yeah, man, she. This is this feels good. This feels good. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like a really nice moment for her moving forward. And yeah. I'm. It is amazing how when you know you have some of these uh, these shows or movies, and because the MCU is such a big and constantly moving property, mm-hmm. you you know how like up or down will feel after the end of one of them. You know, yeah. how, like Secret Invasion, yeah. it's like, oh no, like, and then after yeah. you're like, oh, you know what? Okay, I got, and, and I, this one I feel like mm-hmm. super positive about moving forward, yeah. just because, and I didn't feel like a few things mm-hmm. after these shows. I didn't feel like I wasted a bunch of my time watching it. it no. Like where I was like, oh gosh, I was invested. We were doing all this, and then it ended up horrible. There are little teases now that mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm excited about. Oh, cool, that. That's a cool story that they they just touched on, but they could really expand more on that. Yeah, and yeah, just it you know maybe after not having stuff as much for two months ish, you know we got yeah. we were maybe a little bit more fresh and wanting something, and it wasn't something that they'd been building mm-hmm. up all that much. As you said, our expectations for it weren't like this is going to be game changing. Yeah. So I I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with this and. You know, even even the way we were able to recap it, we didn't have to spend necessarily an hour going deep diving each episode. But I think we were able mm-hmm. to get the heart of each episode out and some of the ones that yeah. we enjoyed the most. And uh, I would really recommend this to what's cool is like y- the k- kids can watch this younger, yeah. you know, can have fun with it. And because it is different and because the stories are are followed through, but it's not as mm-hmm. much of a prerequisite. And I heard that really? being said, you don't feel like you need to have watched every movie and show in the MCU mm-hmm. to watch these episodes and to understand them. No, it, it works very well standalone. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'll be revisiting it. In addition to the fact that it's just, it's fun to look at. It's quick. The episodes individually are quick and uh, it's, it's a fun watch. There's, a, there's some humor in it too and, and, and fun action in it. Um, this is on the level of quality that I was hoping that all the Disney Plus shows would be. Completely every agree. Disney Plus show lived up to this. And like I said, I had a few complaints here or there. Uh, that's to be expected. Um, but I, I, I liked it. This this did nothing to uh, diminish my appreciation for the brand uh, and the stories and the characters. It only built it up and 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 inspired my imagination to go further and, and think about more what if. Uh, and more of what I want to see in live action and on this series in the future. That's 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 the feeling I want to get walking away from an yes. MCU series. Unique. And Secret Invasion was so different. <laughs> the yeah. Walking away from this and Secret Invasion was so. And now we're for two series uh, in a row where we feel really good about how it ended and the the, the journey along the way and the quality. Um, and I've seen a little bit of Echo, and I liked what I saw of Echo so far. So I'm really excited to talk and- about that. And Next I think week, the so, way they yeah. dropped Echo 2 is smart. I think they can mm-hmm. – What I was kind of hitting on this too. I think they can mm-hmm. sense that it's a little bit of a slower starting show and story mm-hmm. just because of the story you're having to tell. So they didn't do it weekly. 
Because I think the yeah. first episode or two probably would have gotten like, ah, this is kind of slow. I, I think mm-hmm. when you watch more into it and it starts to pick up, you can understand, you know, the, the overall story better. So I think yeah. that was was smart because right now they don't want to throw things out there and then get a bad week of reviews. There's been a bad like year, year and mm-hmm. a half or so, you know, and just with yeah. with the buzz, the behind the scenes stuff. So a lot of the, the stuff that's had to have rights and rewrites and shoots and different things here and there. But um, I, I did uh, just one thing I had forgotten about, too, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And it'll be just a little bit of a tease in Echo is that, you know, remember in Echo, we are in that world with some other characters, too, that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be reintroduced mm-hmm. to some characters that we've seen in the last couple of years, some really fun ones. And mm-hmm. some of my favorite uh, one one particular of my personal favorite characters, um, as we've seen really now them on Disney Plus, uh, TK, really mm-hmm. pushing the Defenders shows. Um, yeah, and they, they've been they've really, them. Yeah, and they're pushing them. You could see they're up. They've got yep. their own sections. They'll be featured yep. on the app over and over. So um, very, very cool. Yeah. And now what is nice about the time period we are in now is mm-hmm. – I'm a little bit less worried about them giving us things that aren't as good of quality because I feel mm-hmm. like with X-Men on the horizon now and with mm-hmm. Defenders and we, we have all these different avenues to where we may not have to be just kind of going over the same things over and over or th- these mm-hmm. we're going to feel like some new territories are being explored. And I'm. Yeah. I'm I'm pumped again because you know we're gonna have some X Men stuff coming this year and even just yeah. thinking about like what we saw at the beginning of this. Hey, two years down the line, are we gonna get something more with Howard the Duck? You know yeah. they they teased so. it yeah. here. So <laughs> awesome, TK man. Thanks for uh, again for doing all the hard work and and joining us. And uh, I look Thank forward you. to all of our chats each and every time. And it's always better when we can have a fun chat, when we enjoy, when we really yeah. enjoy a lot of the stuff that we watched. And uh, now we'll, we'll take another week or maybe two and we'll see when we finish up with echo and we'll have that mm-hmm. in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks recorded whenever that's uh, that's good for our schedules. But yeah, positives about uh, what if nothing perfect, but I thought it mm-hmm. started good the, in, in particular, yeah. like the two, three episodes that we talked about, we liked, and then it ended mm-hmm. good. That's always the important part of a series is that sometimes in the middle, you're going to have some lulls. Not everything can be high, 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 high every episode. But when you have a nice Mm -hmm. start and a good little buildup in the first few, and then towards the end, as you had pointed out, you know, we get a new character in episode six and then eight and nine, we do a really good job of of tying the bows to everything. So pretty positive on this one, man. I I enjoyed it and I enjoyed talking with it, uh, talking about it with you. Same. I, I really had a great time watching it and chatting about it with you, too. Like you mentioned, uh, that it started really strong. It ended really strong. And, uh, you know, it had some highs and, and it had a few lows, but those lows uh, didn't bring it down too much. I mean, the lows were still, uh, you know, passable. You know, there was and nothing that was like a real fail on, on the part of this series. And when it's everything a else short good. scene yeah. or a short episode or like in, even in something in animation and it's a low you yeah. it sounds silly, but you can kind of pass it off because it's just not that much. You know, when an right. entire What's movie nice? is bad, you're uh-huh. screwed. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. it's like, oh God, we roll our eyes at that. Or the whole secret invasion, there might have been one yeah. or two episodes where we had felt like, okay, okay, <laughs> maybe we're going in the right direction. And then boom. Mm-hmm. It, this was a different vibe, different feel. Mm-hmm. 
So fingers crossed, some good energy right now in the MCU as uh, Tim Kelly and I will head over (laughs) to Echo for our next deep dive recap and review. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. And make sure to give Tim a follow on Twitter and on Instagram at TimIsNotFunny. Check out the great music projects there and uh, anything else that's on Tim's mind. TK, buddy, I hope you and your family have a beautiful rest of your weekend. And uh, we'll catch up in the uh, throughout the week, and we'll see in the next week or two. We'll, uh, we'll knock Echo out, and uh, we'll get another one in the books, man. It's been a crazy mm-hmm. few years. I was posting uh, yeah. at the end of last year, a few weeks ago, just what we did in 2023 was massive, yeah. you know, massive. going through all yeah. the shows. And so we got a real big library that we're building up. Uh, uh, one, uh, one, one year when, you know, when we sell to like Apple and we're making millions, you know, we'll do, we'll have like a documentary, like the behind the E true Hollywood story of how it all came <laughs> together with you and I, but uh, thanks again, buddy. Always a blast. Thank and you. I hope you have a, a great rest of your weekend. Thanks. Same to you. I look forward to next time. Folks, don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. A big thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out with What If. big thank you to Eric for helping us out with the NFL game previews. Hopefully we made you some money at Santa Anita. Gulfstream Park already taken care of on a previous episode, as well as the Royal Rumble Roundtable. Talk to you again real soon right here on That's What G Said.